Genesis House and the Friends in Recovery podcast are proud to bring you Answering the Call, the first responder podcast. Join your hosts, Mike the Podfather and Jersey Ed, as they address the real issues in health and wellness for first responders. From physical and mental health to relationships and work-life balance, we leave no stone unturned. Answering the Call, the first responder podcast is available on Facebook, Podbean, iTunes, and YouTube, as well as iHeartRadio. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Now, here are your friends in recovery answering the call. Hey, welcome everybody. Welcome to Answering the Call, First Responders Podcast, sponsored by Genesis House. I am the podfather, Mike Miles. Hey everybody, and I'm Jersey Ed. Jersey Ed. And we have a guest uh, host today sitting in with us. We do? Yeah. Oh, hey Chris. He's almost hey. as good as looking as you, Mike. Uh, yeah. Podfather. I thought we were saving him for later. Well, we could just throw him in there because people see him and hear him. And so, Chris, how you doing? I'm doing really well. Thank good, you for good, having good. me, gentlemen. You're welcome. We'll, we'll 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 fill you folks in later on with uh, <laughs> with what what Chris does. And sweets, how you doing? I'm yeah, doing man. fantastic. You look Thank great you. today. Thanks. I appreciate it. You got a beautiful that. shirt on. Yeah, you like, I like your slacks. You're dressed up very nice today. I for am. Us. I am very professional in the yes, background. Of course you are. Are absolutely. you done fawning all over sweets? <laughs> Why are you jealous? No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> don't fawn on me. <laughs> well, we, Chris looks beautiful too. <laughs> listen, there's people out there that don't listen. They listen. They don't watch. We yeah. have to give the, you know, give the play by play here. Okay. You with your beautiful, what do you call it? Irish cap. My Irish cap from Donegal. That's correct. There you go. That's it's right. beautiful. Did you wear that's that right. on 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 the beat out made, there? Made in Ireland. <laughs> I do. Yeah. I used to wear it. I wear it a lot. All right. So anyway, right. we have some serious stuff to talk about. Well, let um, me let me do some uh, business first. Um, here we go. <laughs> Here's the reading part. <laughs> here we go. Welcome to Answering the Call, the First Responders co- Podcast. First of all, we want to thank Genesis House for sponsoring this show along with the First Responders community. Answering the Call, the First Responders Podcast is powered by your likes, follows, subscribes, and shares. Do us a favor and leave us a five-star review. All of them. All of them. Give us all the stars. That's it. And that's it. That's, that's all it. Got. That's it. Wow, that's that is good. it. That's good. Wow, simplified. That's well, it. They really, like that. they really cut that down. Here, didn't they? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Listen to past shows. You know why? Yeah. We're gonna get. We're gonna get you a teleprompter. <laughs> yes, you put yeah. it up there. I'll yep. read it off of there. Yep. I'll be like, ah, what is that? Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be terrible. <laughs> so this podcast, um, answering the call, you know, we we like to cater to police officers, correctional officers, veterans, EMS workers. Um, you know, last year there was there were over forty three police officers killed in the line of duty. Here we are, February, in the month of February, and we've already had several police officers killed just in the last two days. Yes. Kimberly P- Police Department in Jefferson County, Alabama, we have an officer, Nick O'Rear, O hyphen R E A R. Officer O'Rear was a 19 uh, year veteran, and he was shot to death Tuesday night uh, by a suspect. Mm. Uh, he leaves two children and a wife. We had Trooper Joseph Bullock. He's 42 years old. I'm sorry, Joseph Bullock. Um, he was assisting a motorist on I-95 in Florida down by West Palm Beach. Mm. And the motorist he was assisting shot him to death. <sighs> Fortunately, an off-duty police officer was driving by and he shot the suspect to death. Good. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So there'll be no um, <coughs> several days or several years in jail waiting for a trial. Waste, wasting our right, taxpayers' fucking money, too. So that cracks me up when he do that. The point so. of... The point of you know talking about this on answering the call is most most listeners I'm involved in law enforcement, uh, firefighters, correctional officers, 
um, veterans, you know, it's just to me, it's just alarming at how many police officers are shot almost on a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. Last year, it was almost a weekly basis. You know, uh, several several times, uh, you, you you watch the news every morning. It it just it's horrific. It's awful that people can just shoot police officers at will. Here's a cop <clears throat> stopping on the highway to help somebody. He sees a stranded motorist, pulls over. Could have called AAA, and and he ends up getting shot to death by the gentleman he's trying to help. Uh, it, it's just horrific, mm-hmm. awful. Well, you know, and unfortunately, that's the. Um you know that's what, and that's not what you signed up for. But that's what these people do out there, and uh, you know, in uh, in their own worlds, and they think it's 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 okay, and it's not, you know, and uh, that's not going to be. Unfortunately, that's not going to be the first or the last that we're going to hear of that this year, um, right. early in the year. I was just reading those statistics the other day. Um, you're right. I think it's what eight or nine already this year. Right. Uh, well, I think forty three last year. The good news is. States like Alabama and Florida, they still have the death penalty. You know, state of Massachusetts, long long ago, back in the uh, early '90s, they they got rid of the death penalty. They hadn't killed anyone in years. They hadn't put anyone in, in the electric chair. That's what they used to use up here in Mass. But at least in Florida, you know, if you're going to kill a police officer or kill somebody, you you have a good shot of being um, mm-hmm. being put to sleep yourself. You know, which Texas I, too. Texas. Texas is, big. is a great Texas, state. Great uh, state of they're Texas. All, they're all. You know, all those southern states do that. Right. So. For all you police officers out there <laughs> listening, you know, you, you have to be safe. You have to be aware mm-hmm. because it's like a shooting gallery. Mm-hmm. You know, I was a cop 35 years. I was very fortunate. I never was shot. I, I was assaulted many times. Um, I've had guns pulled on me, everything. I was just very fortunate. I wore a vest. But, you know, even with a vest on, there's no guarantee that's going to save your life. Mm-hmm. Did they make you buy the vests, Mike? No, no. They were provided they, by provided, the department. Right. Right. I they, remember Stacy, my, my wife, her ex-husband, I believe they had to raise money to get their own vest. If yeah, they I believe the vest. a lot that of was, departments. That was Philly. Right. That was crazy. Right. Those so. Kevlar vests, uh, they're, ve- they're very good. Um, the, the, the first vests that, that came on the market in the early 80s, mid-80s, they were called second chance vests. They were made of Kevlar, and, and they were good. And they just basically covered your, your vital organs mm-hmm. from your neck down to your, your belly button. Yeah, yeah. The new vest, uh, they go a little further down. The, 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 the technology has really changed. Yeah. Uh, they're actually a, a really a life-saving vest, and they don't uh, they don't deteriorate. The old vest used to, every five years you had to get a new one because yeah. the, they would deteriorate from perspiration yeah. and such. You know? wow. wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's fitting that we talk about that because we do have, we'll get to our guest in a minute, but we do have a, a guest um, that does talk about gun violence and, Good. and all that. But, um, Good. But I, real quick before we get to our guest, um, Chris, what brings you here besides the long drive up here and uh, <laughs> and the snow? Well, <clears throat> you know, as you know, we met a number of months ago and we yeah. discussed the, the 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 conversations that you have on this podcast, mm-hmm. and you felt that maybe uh, I might be of some benefit. Mm-hmm. Maybe I tend to lean a little to the left. I so know, you felt, I know, uh, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Well. <laughs> We, uh, we we felt that this building was leaning a little to the right, and uh, we had to bring a bring somebody in on the left here so we can even it out a little bit, and <laughs> that's why we put him in the middle so we can control him too. Okay, so <laughs> yeah, it's important you keep stabbing me stabbing that's me right, under the table, right. you know. That's but right. I come from a labor perspective, which I think is important as well. Yeah. You know, well, you know, yeah, and like you and I were talking before, Chris, and and I always say this on the show: you have a little bit of each side. You can't just be, uh, you know, that's my that's my view, and especially being on a, on a on a talk show, especially we do two of the talk shows, you got to kind of, I got to kind of understand everybody, you know what I mean? And, uh, I get it. I mean, I, I am more to the other side that you are, you are, that you're not, but it's what makes the world go round, right there, Podfather? I agree a hundred percent. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's, um, 
It is what it is. So, um, so back to those uh, officers. Let's let's um, you know, let's let's kind of celebrate their lives. You know, I'm sure they did wonderful things. I I don't I don't know them personally, right. um, but For, you know, right. Florida Trooper Joseph Bullock and Kimberly Police Department, Jefferson County, Alabama, officer. Excuse me, um, Joseph. Uh, I'm sorry, I, I got all these notes in front of me here. <laughs> Podfather taking notes. His name is Ni- Nicholas uh, O'Rea, and uh, you know, yes, we, we definitely will. We'll, they'll be in our thoughts and prayers, and their families will as well. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. It's it's a sad sad day for for any anything happening. Even our firefighter friends, even, even EMS. I mean, you know, some of those EMS guys show up in the scenes first, and they're dodging bullets, you know, all the time. I mean, I'm sure we can hear horror stories if you have an email sure. where you know any EMS folks, you know, send send us some stories about that. You know? Right now, Worcester, which is I think it's the third largest city in the uh, state of Massachusetts, they're having a. Um, it's not an investigation, but but they're actually they have this um, group of ex firefighters, chiefs chiefs of fire uh, departments, getting together and trying to figure out. They've lost seven firefighters in the last several years. Um, you know, in fires, working fires. You know, and that's just too much for one city to bear. You know, um, so they're trying to look at their equipment, um, how they approach fires. Um, Anyway, it was on the news this morning. I, I try to keep up on this stuff because um, the older you get, the more you realize how fortunate. If you finished a career of 35 years, which usually that's the length um, a police officer will work or a firefighter, um, you know, from usually the age of 25 to 60, 61, 62, mm-hmm. um, you know, and you come out the other end, you're, you're in a very small percentile. Mm-hmm. I think it's 13% make it from start yeah, to finish. Yeah, absolutely. Mike, I was looking at... Uh at um, the line, LOD, what loads they call them, mm-hmm. line of duty death. Yep. Um, and they had a statistics from like 1980 to last year. And as as the years went up to coming closer to, to you know, 2019, line of duty deaths got less and less. Um, right. Now, I didn't read the whole article. I was just kind of picking through because you and I are going to do a show on line of duty death. Look for that in the future. Um, but um, as... I'm guessing it's because of Kevlar vests, because of better equipment for the firefighters, because of more tech uh, technology, more tactical um, uh, skills that that we were able to implement in throughout the year. So I think I'm from 1980 to 2019, I believe it was. And it was a significantly lower number from 1980 to 2000. Uh, and, And that was from everything from. Um, getting hit by a car to shootings to um, motorcycle accidents, car accidents, whatever that that's that that included in there. So, right. um, does that surprise you or no? Well, those stats <clears throat> I think were good, but from nineteen, I'm sorry, from 2012 <clears throat> until currently, the the uh, amount of deaths, um, job related deaths for police officers has increased by almost 30 percent because of the. Um, just I, I think what happened in Ferguson, Missouri, had a lot to do with it. Especially if you look at those dates from 2012 and up, you're going to see uh, pol- the the rate of police officers killed has increased by it, by 33 percent. It did go up a little bit in those years, yes, absolutely. But then it dropped down again. So I'll get those uh, stats for next show or maybe Department of Justice has those stats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or a line of duty. There's there's actually a line of duty death uh, website too, so you can yeah. get all the stats from. So can I just ask a question? Sure. That <clears throat> do you think though? That also in the last 20, 25 years, there's been an incredible change in, in policing and the pressures that, that our officers and our first responders feel that 
you know, being a person of a certain age, things were different when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. People, people treated officers and first responders with a level of respect that just doesn't, uh, that just doesn't exist at this point. Yeah. And I think, you know, you take that job home with you as well. You know, as a civil servant, I go home and I don't have to worry about what's going on during the course yes. of the day. I know that, you know, when you go home as an officer, when, when a first responder goes home, they carry that with them. You know, our 911 operators, all of them, the pressure and the, psycho- the psychological, psychological pain mm-hmm, yeah. that they carry. Yeah. High rate of suicide as well, Chris. <clears throat> yeah. you right. Know, correctional officers actually um, have, have surpassed police officers who used to be number one in uh, line of duty. I'm sorry, in um, drug-related suicidal deaths. Now it's correctional officers, yeah. police officers are number two. And it's a mundane job. It's it's a type of job where you know there's you have eight hours. You're locked up with um, you know you're not with the best of people. Yeah. And it's a very stressful job. And as just recently out in um, Western Massachusetts or mid mid Massachusetts, there was an uprising in a prison, and three correctional officers were attacked. It was on film. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they had video of it, and uh, it was horrific. Um, one guy had his his jaw and his cheekbone shattered uh, from being punched. Um, you know when you have three correctional officers in a room with 22 uh, inmates yeah. and the inmates start attacking the correctional officers while well, the other ones are going to join in and that's yeah. just what everyone saw the public got to see yeah, this exactly yeah they seen the, the the wrong side of the film so but we have a guest on um mike you want to introduce her she is definitely do. an expert on on gun violence and and uh, a little bit of all that uh, right. she's from um the uh, the the foundation called brady united Correct. And take it away, Mike. <laughs> Correct. Our podfather, I'm sorry. It's Kyle Ann Hunter, Vice President for Programs, mm-hmm. works closely with the President to ensure that Brady's, that Brady's programs are designed and implemented to meet Brady's mission and that national and field assist work together for pragmatic success. And she can explain more about that. That's a, that's, that's a pretty hefty um, a lot paragraph. Of, yeah. Um, <laughs> so Kyle Ann is a U.S. Marine Corps veteran, <clears throat> combat veteran, serving multiple tours in Iraq and Afghanistan as an AH-1W Super Cobra attack pilot. My goodness. Um, she, her actions in combat were awarded seven airstrike medals. Um, she also served as, a, as the Marine Corps <clears throat> legislative liaison officer to the House of Representatives and the military liaison for the House Democ- D- Democracy Partnership, a longtime gun violence prevention advocate. She co-founded Bets for Gun Reform and has appeared on multiple national and international media outlets speaking on the issue. She recently gave a TED, and I'm sure that's an acronym, the T-E-D, TED Talk, TED talk yep. on the American problem of weapons of war in places of peace. She is currently an, an, an adjunct professor at Georgetown University. Do you ever sleep? Uh, she, master, <laughs> she has a master's in national security studies program. Oh, it, she is an adjunct in master's in national security studies program. She also serves as the chair of the Employment and Integration Subcommittee of the Secretary of Defense's wow. Adversary Committee on Women in the Services. Wow. Welcome. Welcome, <laughs> Kyle Ann. So you can kick our ass, you can outsmart us, and you work for the government. So we're, we're all we're all we're all done here. So so welcome to your show. <laughs> no, no, no. Thank you, thank you so much for having me, and you know, really for for elevating the voices of first responders, EMS veterans in you know in the 
in the country writ large, which I, which is clearly something that I care about quite a bit. But I think there's quite a bit in the gun violence prevention arena that we can, we can talk about um, on this topic. And I, I'd actually like to start. You're know, you talking about officers killed in the line of duty, and um, it's. It's a clear tragedy every single time something like that happens. And if we look at, at Brady and really what what we do and what we, our, our history was, is that we, before Brady was even Brady, which were named for uh, for Jim Brady, President uh, Reagan's press secretary, not Tom Brady. We're not the Tom Brady fan club that some people <laughs> seem to think we are. When, <laughs> you know, we get we calls get, for the Tom Brady uh, fan club? <laughs> we, we do. We do. Which, you know, no, no. Jim Brady, um, who... You know, was was shot during the assassination attempt on on President Reagan. But even before that, our our legal arm has existed for almost a decade longer than than Brady as we know it today, and um, represented representing the families of officers who have been killed in the line of duty is one of the largest um, areas of of litigation that our our legal team works on, and um, in particular working to hold the gun dealers that through shady practices are providing providing guns to traffickers um, accountable and um, which is a tiny tiny i mean it's it's less than five percent of dealers are um can or more than 90 percent of guns recovered in crimes can be traced to less than five percent of dealers so it's a very small number of dealers but those very small number of dealers are making it uh you know, exponentially more dangerous for our law enforcement officers who are out on the streets, for the average citizens who are just trying to go live their their daily lives. And so, that's a that's a really big part of our legal work is actually um, representing officers and getting to the root cause of where gun trafficking is starting, um, so that we're not playing whack-a-mole with the problem, but actually going you know hitting the hitting the big fish, um, so to speak, so that there are fewer guns in the hands of people that shouldn't be having them. Well, Kyle, Kyle and, and, and you're going after these, some of these gun dealers who are not the, the five percenters, let's call them. But what do you do with the, right. like the illegal guns on the street? How do you watch those? And, and, you know, you, you know, the bad guys know where to go to get the guns that they need besides and, going to that 5%. Well, that's, that's where, you know, one of the things, and it's, it's part of our, our legal work part of it. And then we have this large combating crime guns um, initiative that I, I oversee as well. And the big focus of that is that we take a supply side approach and look really at the totality of the supply chain of illegal guns. Um, the vast majority of illegal guns start as illegally purchased guns mm -hmm. somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, so we work with dealers to identify the signs of straw purchasings, of trafficking, because there are some, some signs that just take some education to identify where that's going to be so we can nab those guys before they ever bring guns into the legal mar illegal market. And then we work with um, local law enforcement, and we've actually got a um, program that we're kicking off in New Jersey here very soon, working with the state police, that a really a comprehensive supply side approach. So starting from inspection of dealers to make sure that they're all following the law and like and implementing best practices that go go beyond. But then also looking at, you know, from a really a mapping perspective where the flow of illegal guns is coming from to help, you know, identify those 
choke points, those potential trafficking routes to to divert guns to, to capture the traffickers before they actually get into the hands of criminals. And I think you know some work we've done in New York is um, very telling for this as well. Is you know busting up a a ring that had hundreds of hundreds of guns that were all traced to one dealer in Georgia, mm-hmm. and being able to identify really what that that flow of of guns was and cut it off at the pass. And so you know our you know our 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 aim here is to stop guns from getting into the hands of you know those who happen to call them illegal guns, crime guns you know, guns that are really on the black market. Um, and in that way, it's also protecting the, the legal rights of gun owners to, to go out and own them. I mean, I'm a gun owner. I've been around guns since I was 10 years old. Um, but I, I think we need to, to shift some of that narrative and say, you know, how are we holding the facilitators of the illegal guns responsible as well so that we can stop the pro- problem and not just play whack-a-mole with, you know, pulling one or two guns off the street. You know, yes, every... Every illegal gun that we get off the street is good, but if we can hit the source, mm-hmm. that's even better. Hey, um, I have a question. <clears throat> Excuse me. The NRA, are they um, friends or foe? I mean, how do you look at that? You know, the, obviously they're they're always looking to protect the uh, Second Amendment, and and it's it's if if you're a, you know if if you're against uh, like a automatic weapons or something, you, you're their enemy. Uh, you know, I, I look back on Eric Holder. Uh, when he released those guns to the um, the Mexican cartel or everything that went that way, and the um, border guard that was killed, I, I can't think of his name right now, it, it, it slips me, but um, I don't know if you were working then. Um, did you recall all this? I, I did. I was, I was still in the Marine Corps at that time, so okay. I was... Uh... Yeah, I was yeah. I was doing I was doing Marine Corps stuff. Yeah, good for, good <laughs> flying for you. helicopters around when that was happening. Thank, thanks <laughs> but for yes, your I do remember. Career. Thanks for your service. I do remember that. Yeah. Now, do you yeah. do you do you look at the NRA as uh, as a hindrance, or do you look at them as um, a supportive, or are they neutral, or where well, would they stand? I I think when we look at the when we look at the NRA, it's important to you know, make a few divisions among the NRA. Like the vast majority of NRA members, people who adhere to wanting to protect the Second Amendment. There, we're, we're in this fight with them because I guarantee you nobody in this country wants to see an increase in gun violence. Right. And we all want to do everything we can to prevent gun violence, whether that is homicides, unintentional shooting, shootings, or suicides, which I think we should talk about a little bit you know, as well. We're all in that. There's been, I think, an unfortunate um, inflammatory tone that's been taken around the the gun rights debate, which has, um, you know, NRA TV, which is now gone, uh, had really inflamed some some passions that I think distracted from what the real issues were. Right. You know, that some of the some of the I mean, to use the term commercial for lack of a better term, PSAs that they put out, which when they were going after the media, which they were going after the, you know, um, Democrats. Um, that, that just doesn't help actually get to the root of the fact right. that we right. want to be able to protect the rights of individuals while also ensuring that guns don't get into the wrong hands and that we mitigate the risks that guns pose, which we need to do through education. You know, I think, you, I know uh, the podfather here has been in law enforcement and understands that guns, uh, and I, I don't know, I'm sorry, I don't know the rest of your, your backgrounds, <laughs> but you might as well, but, you know, we, we know that guns are inherently dangerous. David like that's Watchmen, what they're, they're designed <laughs> yeah, you know they're they're designed to uh, sorry I had to say that to hurt people and to kill people, and we need to just recognize that that's a risk, and then have some honest discussions about how to mitigate that risk, yeah. 
And, and I think when you get this inflammatory divisiveness where you start going after the media and start going after one political right. party or the other, you, you just, you distract. And so right. I think it's, it's the, the, the NRA, I mean, I used to be an NRA member, um, but then when it became this very partisan, I, I left just because uh, partisanship doesn't help anything. Um, it's the same reason some of the gun violence prevention orgs are, I think, way too partisan as well. Like right. it's uh, at Brady, our, our motto is take action, not sides. And so we will work with anyone. Like if, if Wayne LaPierre that. is listening... Would love to love to work on this together. <laughs> well, that's great, uh, and, and I agree. You know, it turns into a quagmire. You know, it really gets bogged down when you get politics involved in it. Um, I, I do believe um, if everybody's on board with the Second Amendment and the fact that we all have, you know, the rights to to, to bear arms, you know, to protect ourselves, mm -hmm. and then you go from there. But you're right. When when it becomes a uh, a messy uh, quagmire of um, politics it, it just it, everybody everybody gets a little crazy and you know that's that shouldn't be the way when children are killed in, in a school as a result of gun violence uh, and then versus police officers killed as a result of gun violence there's two, you have two different avenues and we're going to take a quick break we are the uh, answering the call first responders podcast sponsored by genesis house we'll be back since 1992, Genesis House has been helping real people heal from addiction on their private recovery campus in beautiful Palm Beach County, Florida. Their family-owned program is accredited by the Joint Commission and offers detox and dual diagnosis treatment in a comfortable and confidential setting. The first responder recovery program at Genesis House is led by a doctorate-level therapist with direct professional experience as a first responder himself. Treatment modalities focus on psychiatric care, relapse prevention, stress management, and trauma-informed care for PTSD. Learn why their individualized approach makes a difference for first responders. Call Genesis House today at 1-800-737-0933 to speak with someone who understands. Visit them on the web at www.genesishouse.net. It's time to start your journey to a long and successful recovery. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Answering the call. Uh, First Responders Podcast, sponsored by Genesis House. I am the Podfather, Mike Miles. Everybody, I'm Jersey Ed. Jersey Ed, and we have uh, a couple of guests, and we we'll do. get to them. But um, Eddie, I think you had some uh, questions for we, uh, yeah, um, astute guests. Yes, this uh, Kyle Ann, you were very smart, very uh, impressive. Um, I think you should um, come here, take over our podcasts, and uh, <laughs> and we would have to we'd have to do less work then. But <laughs> and, um, a quick question, I, I want to bring you back to some of the. Um, something that you were talking about before you said that, um, and I, and I'm paraphrasing you just correct me. Um, what, what you said, you said guns kill and harm people. Um, I, I'm my feeling about a gun. I don't own a gun. I don't, I don't have a desire to own a gun. Um, just not going to give out my address where I live. So, um, but <laughs> I just never had a desire. So, um, uh, you know, I, I'm around people with guns all the time. It's just, just not what I feel that, you know, I feel that I need it. Um, but shouldn't we look at it as protection and not as a kill, a killing people, like a killing machine. If we look at it that way, maybe well, it'd be a little different. Um, I don't know. I, I so, so I'm actually going to, to, to disagree with that. I think we need to keep in mind that guns are designed to harm and kill that might be what you have to do for protection. You might have to harm or kill somebody else to protect yourself. However, if you choose to bring a gun into your home for the, that form of protection, you have to be 
fully prepared to harm or kill another human being. And I think one of the things that um, is, is a problem in, in this country is we take a very cavalier attitude towards that. We, we forget that that's part of, if we say we're protecting ourselves with a gun, we're also saying we're putting ourselves in the position that we might have to take another human life. We might have to harm another human life. And I, I can look at it, you know, we, we talk a lot about, you know, good guys with guns. Um, and in the military, law enforcement, you know, are, are really the most justified good guys with guns that are out there. And I speak for myself, and I know I speak for a whole lot of other, other military veterans and, and law enforcement veterans that even under the most justified of circumstances, taking another human life for your own protection or for the protection of those that you're serving along with is never easy. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't, it doesn't matter how bad that bad guy is. That is not something that's easy. And we shouldn't take that lightly. We shouldn't, we shouldn't take it lightly that that might be what we have to do. So I think we need to have those very hard and honest conversations because what we see far too often happen is people bring guns into their home under the idea that I'm just going to protect myself. And they don't take it very seriously that they are a tool that is designed to harm and kill. And as a result of that, you know, every day there are eight children who find guns in the in the home and unintentionally shoot themselves or another child. That's correct. And that yeah. that is, I think, when we we look at that, so much of it is because we don't take seriously that these are tools designed to harm and kill, and don't take the steps right. to ensure that they're not used for some other purpose because we're we're really not internalizing that. Well, you know, just what you said. Um, I was a police officer for 35 years, and I'm also a clinical social worker with a master's degree, and, and I'm, I'm a clinical social worker and, and a laid-out counselor, and I've sat across from many police officers that have actually taken lives and counseled them and spoke with them and tried to get them to feel um, not justified, but definitely put them in a better spot because, like you said, taking a life is never easy. But every time I think of what you just said, I was uh, working on the main desk at the police department when I was getting my master's program, and there was a call for a, a shooting. And what happened with two 11-year-old boys come home from school at the grandfather's house of one of the kids, um, and he finds grandpa's um, 357 Magnum, and they're playing with it, and lo and behold, the, the grandson gets shot, right? Straight in the chest, dies immediately. And I remember they brought the grandfather in for questioning, and I had to bring him down to the criminal bureau. He, he came into the main desk, and post-traumatic stress isn't just a uh, phrase. It's not a PTSD. is not just an acronym. It's actual reality. And from that shooting that happened in 1994, I'm sorry, 1998, 1998, um, I still think of the look on that man's face. He had just lost his grandson. Now he's being charged with having a, a weapon that, that, that wasn't properly stored. And I mean, he just lost his grandson. The boy who shot the grandson, he's traumatized. His parents are traumatized. Everybody in the school they went to, it was just a ripple effect. But for me, it always comes to mind when I see any shooting at all um, involving children, I think of that that particular night. Did it harm me physically, emotionally? Uh, no, but it stayed with me. And, and it, it just, if that gun had had a, a lock on it or whatever. And in my, I just want to say one more thing. In my complete career, I always made sure my gun was secure. Never, ever left it. And I'm not patting myself on the back, but it just made me realize what I did have with me. My gun never came into the house. It never, it was never loaded. If it did come into the house, even if I came home to grab something, I would stick my gun in my glove box in the cruiser, run in and get what I needed, and then come back out. I just, 
because of that particular incident. And that, and, and it's, I mean, it, it's absolutely horrific and horrifying. And it's one of the, uh, about a year and a half ago, we launched um, our End Family Fire campaign, which is designed around education around safe storage and guns in the home. Um, because it's such a, it's, it's one of those very easy, well, seemingly easy, but, but things we all need to be doing and talking about and right. engaging with. Because, you know, I think just like, like you said, there are so many risks and, and knowing and really understanding that you know, law enforcement officers, military veterans, first responders, even a lot of hunters, like we, we, we understand right. the, the power of these guns and we're incredibly, I think, important you know, advocates to have these discussions, these continued discussions. And I think another part of it that's important when we think about this is just how the way we store guns needs to change as our family situations change. You know, when you have young kids who are just very curious in the home, which I think, you know, the, the horrible, horrible tragedy we were just talking about, that's essentially because kids are, kids are curious. Kids want to play with stuff. They, they want to emulate the adults they see in their lives and, and on TV. And just like, you know, we, we lock up alcohol to keep it out of the hands of, of kids. You know, we, we have to do the same with guns, right. but yeah. how we lock them up and those conversations need to change as we get into the teenage years, because right. now you have kids that aren't just curious, but right. are dealing with hormones and stress and mm. still not fully developed brains, mm -hmm. you know, that, that can become malicious. Mm -hmm. Certainly. And, and it's, it's a horrific place to, to be. I actually had a, um, a 38 uh, stolen out of my vehicle, a 38, um, revolver that was stolen out of my vehicle, um, a, a beautiful handgun. Um, it was never recovered. The, the individual who took it, um, he, he paid the price. You know, unfortunately, um, he was going to show it to some friends and put it back and the friends took it and here we go. You know, and it was a horrible feeling for me. I didn't sleep for days. Um, to this day, the, 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 the gun's been missing for over two years, two and a half years, three years. Um, you know, I often wonder every time they recover a gun or there's a shooting in and around the area I live in, I wonder if that is my handgun. You know, it, 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 it's the responsibility um, was on me and um, I, there was an investigation. There was, I, I did nothing at fault. The, the, young, the young boy heard me say that I had a weapon in my, my, um, my car. He found my keys. He got in. He got it. I, it, I found I discovered it was missing immediately. But the bottom line is. That has stayed with me again since then. And it's made me feel like maybe I just don't need a gun now. Um, I'm 65 years old. As a police officer, I always wanted to have a, you know, I always wanted to have a weapon ready because you just never know what you're going to run into. And with all these school shootings and everything, I figured if I was ever driving to work or anywhere and there was a hostage situation, I could be useful. But after that, it really made me think twice about my capabilities and, and what I did. You know, I felt like I had done something wrong. Now, I, I think, um, Chris, you had a question. Chris, Chris comes from um, England, and, uh, you know, he was saying something um, pretty cool, not cool, but something interesting over the um, during the break, and I think that it would be a good, uh, a good question for Kyle Ann. Well, you know, first off, I truly believe that we have to have a compromise because we're in a situation that we can't, we're never going to reach that Australia situation where we're going to have 19 days, we're going to remove every gun from everybody, you know, you're going to be allowed to have your hunting weapons there, but, you know, the farmers are up in arms. But you look at that statistic there on their suicide deaths have, have dropped drastically. Um, I grew up in Britain. There was never an issue of gun violence. You know, as a child, I never worried about it. I grew up in a rural community. Um, 
everybody owned a gun. Everybody owned a shotgun, but nobody owned a handgun. There just there wasn't that necessity. You know, growing up with a with a police department, they never carried a weapon mm. because they had the power of the uniform. For some odd reason, that was it. When they said stop, it's the police. In general, you stopped. You know, for some odd reason. But <laughs> it, was, so, it, was, it was a culture problem. It, it was. was yeah. Green and yeah. I've had my ear twisted by many a Bobby and dragged down the street and said, "You." <laughs> <laughs> hey, do you know any of the Beatles? <laughs> <laughs> That's a different story. He, he but, I did, yeah. <laughs> but really, you know, it's easier in a country with 35 million people when I was there, you know, so to be able to say there's no weapons. Um, but I look at it as, as a national issue. So it becomes a question of states' rights, if I'm not wrong, you know, that I feel like the federal government could do a tremendous amount more to be able to to put these controls in place, but that we don't have uh, the intestinal fortitude and, you know, the fear of not being reelected in certain states, you know, just like, just like we have any rules. Great point. You know, that, that if I'm able to go to Alabama or to Pennsylvania and go into a gun show and buy a gun and, you know, essentially show my driver's license and be gone the next day or buy, you know, buy a gun online from Craigslist or whatever it is. It just seems bizarre that we have that. Um, so I feel like the federal government possibly could step in. Again, it's, you say that and people freak out. Mm -hmm. I don't want them to freak out because there has to be a compromise. What do you believe that compromise is that we, that we can do to make it work? Yeah, so I, I think there's some there's some legal compromises that that are incredibly popular um, just among people. You know, the uh, some of the things you mentioned around like just being able to go and buy something off of Craigslist or uh, some of the gun show loopholes. You know, that the Brady background check system you know, that was passed in '94 was done was passed before the internet was really a thing. You know, that it, it couldn't predict online sales. That wasn't something that was 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 predictable. Um, you know, there's a expanding background checks to cover online sales, to cover private sales. Like that's incredibly, incredibly popular. Almost 97% of people agree that an expanded background check system doesn't in any way infringe on their rights. And I think that's, that's the House of Representatives passed it and it's great. Like we, the Senate just needs to act on it. Like that's, that's I think, a just very easy and it would eliminate a lot of it. And when we look at you know, the, I encourage you, we, I know we're going to talk about the podcast that we have um, recently, but uh, Red, Blue, and Brady is our, our podcast and our legal, um, you know, our, our uh, chief litigator is on there talking about a case he prosecuted um, that focuses on actually changing the narratives and changing the laws around uh, online sales. Uh, because of this, because it's a very easy way for prohibited purchasers. I mean, this was a, the case he talks about in this episode. Um, a guy who had just gotten out of jail went on a rampage killing because he was able to purchase a gun online. And there, was, there weren't checks and balances in place, or checks in place um, right. to get along the way. I think that's very easy. Another thing that is very, very, you know, you mentioned suicide. Um, that's been very effective at the, the state level um, are extreme risk protective orders. I think, you know, Connecticut has the longest standing one. And in, as that was put into place in the 90s, which essentially if somebody is a proven risk, like imminent risk to themselves or others, there are mechanisms to remove guns um, from them or temporarily ban their ability to go buy guns. 
and it's the the data is showing that at least one for every every 10 of these that have been issued there's at least one person who openly admits that it prevented them from committing suicide and i think that's just people who are willing to say and talk about it that like you're right i was able to get the help i needed um colorado has recently um started what they're calling the gunshot project where the state is actually working with gun dealers and giving some small grants to dealers for education to really be the first line of defense against suicide and having conversations around you know, why people are purchasing guns. And so, so these things are all have all been proven to help. They don't infringe anyone's amend, Second Amendment rights. They're incredibly, incredibly popular. Um, and I think it's 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 really going to take you know there's there's just not enough intestinal fortitude in politics right now. Right. And, I, and I, I mean that can be a whole other podcast that we can have. But well, you know, but yeah. But and that's, to, to that's, sum it up, that's it's, where we, we have we have to give and take a little bit. That's basically what we have to do. We have to we can't be all one way or all the other. Um, right. We have to protect everybody in the United States as as a as a citizen whatever way that is you know what i mean you know i, I right. think also though that you know and I, I use the analogy that when my my youngest son was working at blockbuster mm -hmm. you needed two credit cards your social security <laughs> number your driver's yes. license right. three references by the way in order to be able to get right. a blockbuster a card <laughs> you had to rent a movie that, that they then charge you a hundred dollars or if you didn't return it yeah you know when and, i said they're out of business now yeah right <laughs> But yeah. when I have to sign a EULA to, you know, to go on and, and grab something offline, I am giving away far more rights than I would in order to be able to say, hey, look, this is what I need to give right. you to have a gun. Right. Yeah. And I think politics, yeah. um, again, you, if you're living in a state where your senator or your representative uh, has, has been in power for, uh, or been in that position for more than 15 or 20 years, you know, and you're not happy with what's going on, you know, you got to take a look at who you're putting in the, the, the same old, same old. You know, I remember watching a special on TV and it just struck me. They were, it was a neighborhood in Detroit and um, they were trying to, to revitalize the neighborhood and they were trying to get um, uh, vegetable gardens put in a certain spot. And I, I just remember one man's statement, and it'll always stick in my mind. He said, you know, it's easier to, for me to buy a gun than it is to buy a tomato in this neighborhood. <laughs> and he, yeah. the camera crew went with him as he went into a store, and the store was sparse with, with products. And he was trying to buy vegetables, just vegetables, that, that, you know, to, to make a meal. And he said, I can go outside right now, and in 15 minutes I can have a handgun. Mm -hmm. But I have to take a bus. Or, or, or a uh, Uber to go buy tomatoes and vegetables, you know? And, and I mean, that, those are factual statements. So whoever's, whoever is elected in the, the, this section of Detroit, I mean, you really got to take a look at these politicians and say, hey, you know, whether the NRA gives them money to, to stick with it or whatever, but you're right about the political aspect of mm -hmm. this. And, and who'd know better than you? Yeah. I mean, um, I remember when um, Ronald Reagan was shot. I remember yeah. that day. I, I listened on the radio um, as a young cop and, and just... Uh, you know, then James Brady, uh, obviously, um, he lived a, a, a probably somewhat of a longer life than he m maybe he would have lived even longer if he'd never been shot. Because I, I really believe that that, in, in, um, you know, in, it, impaled his ability to live a longer life, I guess. Is what I'm saying. It, it oh. did. I mean, they ruled when he when he did die, they, um, you know, the autopsy showed that it was complications from getting shot that ultimately. Right. right ended his life. Um, but he, he left a legacy of, you know, as he would say, he went to go to try to shake hands, not fits. And right. when the when the Brady bill was finally passed, it was virtually unanimous. 
I mean, it was very, 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 very popular. Um, so there, yeah, yeah, very popular. So, so there is a way to do this. We have a path to do it. You know, we just and I and I think your point of, you know, if if ninety seven percent of the people believe this and support this, and our elected officials aren't doing it, it's our responsibility. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, that's one of our responsibilities as voters to hold them accountable. Right. Say this Absolutely. is this is what we. We you know we're, we're telling you to do. Your job is to right. protect us in some ways, and you're you're refusing to. So, yeah. all in real, on that. Real, real quick, uh, Kyle Ann, um, I do want to talk about. I waited for the Jersey Edge podcast pick of the week for the end of the show for a reason because you guys do a wonderful podcast. I've been listening to. Actually, I listened to one right before I came in, and it was with uh, the uh, the three um, clergymen from New Jersey. It oh. was a fascinating yeah. show. It was really, really good. That was an episode. I forgot. I just had it up, but it's a really good episode. And you were just talking about the state troopers. You're presenting to the state troopers and, and all that. So I forgot to bring that show up. But um, so the Jersey podcast pick of the week is Ed Jersey Ed's podcast pick of the week is Red, Blue and Brady. It's a gun violence protect um, prevention podcast um, looks into how to reduce um, and prevent gun violence. The host is JJ, um, who I met at the DC Podcast Fest in, um, a couple months ago, and that's how we got got together and got you on the show. So now, you want to talk a little bit about the podcast? Uh, we're running out of some time here, so you want to talk a little bit about the podcast? And, and it's a fascinating subject. Yeah. It's probably go on for hours here. I mean, it was just um, very in, in, enlightening, actually, for me, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. So Red, Blue, and Brady is our gun violence prevention podcast. And I think we take a, a little different approach than most folks do in that uh, JJ is our host. She's phenomenal, uh, bright, engaging. Um, but we bring different guests on every every week uh, to talk about different facets of, of gun violence. You know, the episode you mentioned, we have a, a priest, a rabbi, rabbi and, a, and a mom all talking about how gun violence has... Um, impacted their their different congregations and how their you know the the stories of their faith helped them to shepherd those who have been impacted but also take a stand against some of the gun violence um, we have attorneys on we have uh, survivors of different forms of gun violence uh, we have several with gun owners that are on talking about the steps that they take to actually reduce gun violence um, so it's incredibly engaging. I learn something every time I listen to it, which I think is, you know, I, I work in this space for a living and I still right. learn something every time, which is, I think, a huge testament to JJ's ability to really make this engaging for everyone. So I encourage you to, to check it out. Yeah, Super. Absolutely. And what's the name of the podcast again? Kyle Ann for- It uh, is Red, yes, it is Red, Blue, and Brady. And you can yes. find it anywhere that you listen to your podcasts. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, we'll Kyle Ann Hunter. Yeah, we'll put that in our show notes. Sweets, what, what, real quick, let's get Sweets' uh, um, uh, in for, like ideas on all this. You were sitting quiet over there, but uh, so you'd like me to just summarize? Summarize <laughs> something? Yeah, so, yeah. Do our job for us, right? <laughs> no, I mean, I actually, uh, you know, I, I think uh, um, Chris, you, you pointed out uh, a pretty significant fact. I mean, the the idea that there are that there's not enough political intestinal fortitude for people to step up for fear of re-election issues, mm -hmm. uh, to really challenge any of the issues around the gun laws. And I think that's, if, if I look at it in a big picture, if I expand it out and look at what it, it truly takes, uh, you know, what Kailana's doing and, and what everybody that's trying to champion for, you know, these weapons. Like I took a, um, a gun safety course, you know, and I've been using guns since I was a little kid. I can't own one because I'm a felon, but, 
I, I mean, I've shot in them since I was a little kid. My father taught me how to use them. My, my brother makes them like there's, you know, I, I've been around guns my entire life. And the very first thing my father taught me is that this is a dangerous weapon and it can kill someone. That was the first lesson I learned when I took a gun safety course. They were like, this is the dangerous end. This is a weapon. This kills people. You can use it to protect yourself, but this is a dangerous weapon. And I, and I like that. I think that's the probably, you know, uh, Kylan, you talked about the, the cavalier attitude that people take toward guns and how they're used and having them in their home. And, you know, I think that we, they're so common in America that we don't look at them for what they really are. They're, they're so commonplace. It's like, oh, you don't have a gun in your house? No, it's a freaking killing machine. You know, like I don't need one. And I think that's something that people, they have them even though they don't need them. You know, I want it just in case. And so there's a lot around. And, sure. you know, I, I, I fear that, again, this always comes back to political because they're laws. But, you know, I fear that there's, there's very few people that are strong enough to stand up to the public and risk not getting reelected to pass a, a, a uh, you know, maybe an unfavorable gun law, you know, and because and, there's a lot of voters out there that, that have a lot of sway. So that, that's my take on it. And, and I, I wish something else could be done on the ground level. But, you know, I feel like on the front lines, we're just doing damage control. And I'm grateful for the people that are because it saves lives. But the big picture solution is just yeah, heavy. And I don't think we would be as far as we would be without without Brady United. I think you guys are doing a wonderful job out, over there to kind of get it out to the forefront um, and kind of understanding, like, uh, you know, like Sweet said, it's definitely a killing machine. And you enlightened me about that. You really – I thought it was – it's it's a it's for protection, you know. And I'm again. I don't have anything to do with guns. I'm just not a gun guy. But that's how I look at it. Maybe there should be education for everybody about guns. Maybe we all should be aware of guns. Every single one of us Americans here that that um, that that live in this country, we should be aware of what it does. I thought it was for protection, you know. And and there's a reason why we lock it up. There's a reason why it's there's um, uh, trigger locks and and gun cabinets and all that. I mean, you know, and, and we just have to educate probably i my my saying would be everybody so we can make these laws and these changes and understand okay well i'm not voting for that person i'm voting for their views or or maybe we can get this change so that's my my little political stand so um you were very uh very um uh knowledgeable and 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 thank you very much we really appreciate appreciate it kyle Ann. and uh this is a wonderful you for show. having me. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Anytime. We'll hopefully get you back on, though. Podfather, what's your... Uh... Answer on the call. First Responders Podcast. And uh, thank you very much, Kyle and uh, Hunter. You, you're really a uh, wealth of knowledge and information. And what a pleasure having you on the show. Yeah. Thank you. Stay thank safe. you. Thank Stay you. Safe, everybody. That concludes this episode of Answering the Call, the First Responder Podcast. Thanks to Genesis House for sponsoring the show and supporting first responders who are struggling with addiction and mental health. Follow us on Facebook for past shows and updates. If you are interested in being a guest on the show, email us at help at friendsandrecoverypodcast.com.